Hear the word of God from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, starting with verse 23. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the land, you are a land that has not been cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her, like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, take treasures and precious things, and make many widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common, to teach that there is no difference between the clean and the unclean. They shut their eyes to keeping of my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice exhortation, um, extortion, sorry. The, The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It was exactly 20 years ago this week, February 1st, 2004, I took a break from my high school physics homework, and I tuned the radio to 90.5 FM. In the town I grew up in, in Western Maryland, this was the local radio station. I'd been following Jesus for a few years now, and I had made a habit of, in the evenings, taking a break and listening to some of the radio preachers. Now, if you're young, there weren't podcasts yet. And this was my way of trying to grow as a young believer. I'll never forget that evening. There are, in my journey of walking with Jesus, maybe four or five sermons that I can remember and recount for you. And as a preacher who has devoted his life to preaching, that's a daunting statistic. The reality is uh, uh, sermons often play more of a groundwork role in our lives. They till the soil for God to grow things along our journey. But every once in a while, there's a word that comes at a timely moment. A moment that you needed to hear it. So I turned the radio on and a man named George Verwer was preaching. He was the founder of Operation Mobilization. In fact, uh, it's an organization that we partner with as a church. One of our own, Joseph Parker, works with OM Ships. George Verwer was preaching that night on Acts chapter 12. I'll never forget when he came to verse 5. It said, so Peter was kept in prison. You put this on the screen. So Peter was kept in prison But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. 
I say I remember that sermon. But all I remember was he kept saying this verse. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. If you remember the context of Acts 12, Peter is in prison, and in the verses that follow, he's miraculously delivered. Remember that night, God stirred in me a heart for prayer. If Peter was kept in prison, and the church's prayers somehow mysteriously played into God's plan for his deliverance, why would I not pray? And it sent me on a journey of fumbling through prayer. C.S. Lewis called prayer one of the most irksome of all spiritual disciplines. And I feel that. Prayer's mysterious. It's hard. And it's powerful. It's God's designed and desired means by which he pours out his mercy in our broken world. And so I started reading the scriptures and I came to passages like Exodus 32 where Moses is on the mountain. He's meeting with God and his people are down in the valley and they say, Has, what happened to that guy Moses? And what do they do? They, build, they start building an idol. They build a calf and they start worshiping the calf. And, and we read that the Lord was angry. And we see that God in his justice cannot let sin go unpunished and he's angry with his people. And I read that Moses pleads with the Lord. In fact, the psalmist picks up on this story in, in Psalm chapter 106. If we can put this on the screen, Psalm 106 in verse 20, it says, They exchanged their glorious God for the image of a bull. And I love that the psalmist adds us, which eats grass. They forgot who God, they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Verse 23 says this, So he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. I remember as a young believer reading this passage and the Spirit of God said, put that in your theological pipe and smoke that. <laughs> the sovereignty of God in his perfect, unchanging will invited Moses to plead before his people. Plead before God for his people. And the Lord showed mercy. Prayer is God's designed and desired means by which he wants to pour out his mercy on his people. And so we come to Exodus, or not, sorry, not Exodus. We go from Exodus to Ezekiel chapter 22 this morning. I was assigned this morning to preach Ezekiel 20 through 24, and so just to say that I did that, um, here's the message of Ezekiel 20 through 24. 
Y'all are messed up and judgment is coming, okay? <laughs> but I'd like to focus in this morning on Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. It says this, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. It's a moment in the movement of Ezekiel that is sobering. Chapter 20 in Ezekiel, it recounts some of Israel's history. How the Lord led them out of Egypt. And it walks through some of the history. I encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 20 sometime this week. And it walks through a progression that happens. And we see it in the verses that actually come before this in uh, verses 25 through 29. There is a, um, a progression that happens when we become complacent. Uh, what happens in verse 25, he, he lists the princes, how they devoured the people. They turned uh, a people into a means to an end. In verse 26, we see the priests doing violence to God's word. And this is what happens. I want you to see the progression here. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. There's, there, there is this place of complacency that that comes about among the people of Israel where they, they start to blur the lines. And when we start to become complacent with God's design, and I want you to hear this, complacency leads to compromise. Notice they don't distinguish between the holy and the common. They become complacent with some of God's design for his people. And then they teach that there's no difference between the unclean and the clean. Complacency leads to compromise. And then they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths. Now, once you see the progression here, I think this is verses 25 through 29 of this chapter. What what Ezekiel is doing, what the Lord is saying to his people through Ezekiel is he starts with some of the leaders, the, the princes, the priests, the officials, and he goes through the land. It's like the Lord is taking inventory of his people and he says, y'all, you're missing the mark. Because complacency leads to compromise and compromise leads to calluses. You ever done this? You go to the thrift store. Any, any thrifters out there? Okay. You go to the thrift store. You're trying on the shoes. You find a pair of shoes that you really like. You've been looking for a pair that looks just like this. But you try them on, and they're just a tad too tight. But you're like, I, I mean, they're, they're $5. I think I can make them work. 
And you take them home and you start wearing them around the house. And you're like, yeah, I think they'll stretch a little bit. And over time, you wear these shoes that didn't fit just right. And what happens? Your feet starts developing calluses. Complacency leads to compromise. You know, I, th th this can work. I can, I can make this work. And compromise leads to calloused hearts. And before we know it, our calloused hearts lead us to be complicit in the values and way of operation of the world around us. And that is where the people of Israel found themselves. They, they, they became complacent. It doesn't matter what's clean and unclean, what's holy, what's secular. They start to blur the lines and complacency leads them to compromise. They start to teach, oh, well, you, you don't have to call this clean and this unclean. You can start to compromise here. And, and we see it. We see it in our own lives. How many of you set New Year's resolutions? And here we are. It's the month of February. And how many of you came to a place where you're like, well, I mean, I could eat that tonight. But I, I mean, I'll get back on it. And in and, and complacency leads to compromise. And you know what? Before you know it, you ate it the next day too, didn't you? This morning. <laughs> Complacency leads to compromise, and compromise leads to callous. And before we know it, we are complicit in the way of operation of those around us. And that is where the people of Israel found themselves. As Ezekiel takes inventory, the word of the Lord through Ezekiel is, y'all, you are treating people like possessions. You're using them as a means to an end. And before you know it, look how he lands in verse 29. If you put this on the screen, verse 29, it says the people of the land. No longer looking at the leaders, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. The calluses had gotten to the point where they started to ignore the vulnerable in society, and not just that, but to mistreat them and to deny them justice. It's an interesting thing as we read through the prophets that the compromises that the people of Israel take, he often says the litmus test of compromise is not doctrinal um, uh, having all your ducks in a row, but actually the litmus test is are you caring for the vulnerable in society? And it becomes a convicting message all throughout the prophets that we hear. The word of the Lord saying... Complacency leads to compromise, which leads to callous hearts. And before we know it, we are complicit in doing injustice. Jamar Tisby in the book, The Color of Compromise, says this, Historically speaking, when faced with the choice between racism and equality, the American church has tended to practice a complicit Christianity rather than a courageous Christianity. 
They chose comfort over constructive conflict and in so doing created and maintained a status quo of injustice. And this is where the people of Jerusalem found themselves as they're mistreating the poor, the foreigner among them, denying justice. They found themselves in this slippery slope of of starting with uh, just just the sacred and secular. You, You start to become complacent and it leads to compromises and all of a sudden our calloused hearts lead us to be complicit in the ways of our culture. And so the question I have for us this morning is what does it take to stand in the gap? To stand before God on behalf of our people to plead for mercy. Verse 30 says, I looked, I took inventory. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall. And the walls of Jerusalem become this almost metaphor throughout the prophets of this picture of of spiritual stability. And so the picture here that he's using of a gap in the wall is the wall has faced the enemy and the enemy has made a stronghold. There's a hole in the wall and the picture is when when the wall has a vulnerability, what do you do? You send men to stand in the gap to guard that vulnerability. And he says, I looked for someone who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. I want to suggest three characteristics of what it takes to be that someone. To not go in the pattern of our culture or the pattern of Ezekiel chapter 22 of letting uh, complacency lead to compromise, which leads to callous hearts and leads us to be complicit with our culture. I want to suggest that the alternative, one who stands in the gap, is someone who first has clarity has clarity that there is a problem that looks at the, at, at, at the situation and says, there's a hole in the wall and we need someone to stand in the gap. It looks at our world around us and says, this is broken. This is not the way it's supposed to be. It looks at things in our culture like racism, like uh, mistreating those in society who are on the fringes of neglecting those who who society says, oh, they aren't worth as much. We see with clarity the situation. And we see with clarity God's heart, His holiness, His character. Complacency and blurring the lines of the sacred and the secular, It doesn't just happen. It happens when we turn our eyes from the one who gives us his design, who shows us his holiness and his glory. And I think that's why Ezekiel started with a vision of the throne room of God that was magnificent and and out of this world. 
Because it starts with fixing our eyes on the glory of God. And we see with clarity both God's glory and the brokenness of the world around us. So clarity rather than complacency. And then courage rather than compromise. Y'all, it takes courage to be a man or woman, a boy or girl who stands in the gap on behalf of our culture, on behalf of those around us. It takes intentionality. It takes carving out time to intercede. I heard that message on February 1st, 2004, and I started this journey into prayer, and I, I got the book, um, Operation World, and I started, I remember laying out a map, and I would take an hour each evening, and I would pray for countries around the world that I knew nothing about. I would start to pray for my brothers and sisters around the globe who were persecuted, who I knew nothing about. But I believed that somehow, mysteriously, and outside of my paradigm for how God can and does work, but started to believe that prayer is God's desired and designed means of showing His mercy to the world. And so it took intentionality. But you know what? Before I knew it, I said, you know, I'll pray. I'll pray tomorrow. And I got a little complacent with it. And that led to some compromises. You know, I'll, I'll pray here and there throughout the day. And before I knew it, I found some calluses forming on my heart when it came to prayer. Does prayer actually make a difference? Is that hour of time really worth it? Maybe an hour of sleep is better spent. Complacency led to compromise, which led to a callous heart. And before I knew it, I wasn't praying for the nations anymore. I say that before you this morning because I, this is something that was convicting for me as I read this passage this week. My 16-year-old Peter had a stronger desire to stand in the gap. than 35-year-old Peter. But I read those words in Ezekiel 22, and I said, Lord, I want to be that someone. I want to have the courage and the clarity to stand in the gap. So we need to have clarity of who God is and, and have clarity about the situation of our world. We need to have courage, but here's the thing. We need compassion And I want to tell you this morning that that is not something that you can muster up in and of yourself. Compassion has to come from the one that, as we've been reading through the Gospels, looked on the crowds and had compassion on them. The one who stepped into our world to be the one 
who even though there was no one in Ezekiel 22, he would be the one to stand in the gap. He would stand in our place, take his, our sin upon himself, that he would raise so that we could have newness of life. And I want to suggest that compassion comes from time with the king of compassion. And so it starts with abiding in Jesus. It starts with going to him and saying, I want to have clarity and courage and I want to have your compassion, not a callous toward the brokenness of our world. I want to be moved by mercy for those around me. And I want to step into those spaces. I want to stand in the gap, not only as one who intercedes, but as one who builds up the wall. One who does justice. Who loves mercy. One who walks humbly with our God and says, what are you calling me today in the broken spaces of my sphere of influence, in the broken spaces of the world around me? How can I be an agent of your mercy? And I'll suggest that not only is prayer God's desired and designed means of showing mercy to our world, but so is the church. And that's what we're all about. So the question that I have for us this morning is, who will stand in the gap? And I hope it can be us. I want to invite the band to come on up this morning. And we're going to close our time of reflecting on this, this word uh, a little bit different this morning. Um, as I was reflecting on, on even that message 20 years ago that made such an impact on my life. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer to God for him was made by the church. I... A sense of spirit of God just asking us to take time to pray this morning. And um, I invite you, if you want to, however you want to posture yourself in this time of prayer, um, you are welcome to kneel, you're welcome to stand, you're welcome to um, sit with your eyes closed, sit with your eyes open. I want to encourage us to stand in the gap this morning for those around us. So I'm going to just kind of guide us in just a brief uh, time of prayer. I want you to start with your home, uh, the place that God has uh, placed you. Uh, maybe there is a family member. Maybe it's a, a child who's moved on from the home. Someone who doesn't know the mercy of God. I invite you to pray for your family, extended family. Intercede for them. 
God has placed some of us in neighborhoods. We live on streets with people that we interact with on a regular basis. People who don't know Jesus. Is there someone that comes to mind that you want to bring before the Lord this morning? look at our city. Some of us in Durham, some in Chapel Hill, others spread out throughout the triangle. We see broken systems of injustice. We see vulnerable families and children compassion. We see leaders who at times uh, view people as a means to an end. Would you intercede on behalf of our cities? We live in a country with tremendous religious freedom. So often, as we approach a, an election year, we are painfully aware of how often we, as a culture, make idols of power, of politics, of ideologies. Lord, we confess that we are so often complicit. And Lord, we pray that this land would be a place where your church can be faithful to you. that our faithfulness to you would be greater than a commitment to ideologies or political party. God, fill this land with your justice. Fill us with your compassion.
mercy. Lord, we pray for the nations. Lord, we say each week that it is our heart to love the nations, to love the triangle. Lord, we want to intercede to stand and beget in the gap on behalf of men and women, boys and girls around the globe who do not know you. We pray for missionaries, for agents of justice and mercy. Strengthen their weary hearts. Strengthen our brothers and sisters around the globe who are persecuted for the name of Jesus. God, we want to stand in the gap for them. Father, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as we sing together, I pray that you would give us your heart. Give us your heart, God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.